Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. It was a crime that gripped the nation. A beautiful wife and mother was found bludgeoned to death in the garage of her suburban home on the outskirts of Toronto. It was July 1973, and a violent murder was not something that the Mississauga police were accustomed to dealing with. But their suspicions soon fell on the woman's husband, a wealthy Hungarian-Canadian developer named Peter Demeter. He was a man who had it all. Family, friends, success, and wealth. But he wanted more, and murder was much cheaper than divorce. Convicted of hiring a hitman to kill his wife, Peter Demeter was sentenced to life in prison in 1974. But being incarcerated was never an obstacle to Peter Demeter's evil plans. He continued his criminal scheming from behind bars. Arson, kidnapping, torture, and even murder. For those he wanted dead, he stopped at nothing to make it happen. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast series, I'm bringing you the true story of a man whose hatred knows no bounds. He has been called a master manipulator whose mind is a great reservoir of evil that contaminates everyone around him. And at 87, and crippled by disease, the Canadian Parole Board has refused to release him from prison, saying he still poses a significant threat to society. This is Unrepentant Killer, The Life and Crimes of Peter Demeter. Episode 4, A Trial to remember. Murder In the spring of 1970, Christine Demeter gave birth to a beautiful baby girl named Andrea. Peter had been looking forward to becoming a father and bought Christine a white Mercedes convertible as a gift. But It wasn't long before Peter's insecurities set in, 
and he decided that the baby did not look enough like him. He wondered if the baby had been fathered by someone else and even accused a few of his friends, including Chaba Salage. While Peter loved his daughter, his paternity suspicions continued, and the Demeter's marriage became even more strained. Later that same year, he decided to reach out to his old flame, Marina Hunt, in Vienna. It had been nearly four years since their last traumatic meeting when Peter assaulted her, but he had never forgotten the elusive Austrian beauty. On a whim, he sent her 25 roses for her 25th birthday and was thrilled when Marina wrote back. Peter and Marina started corresponding regularly. Peter would send expensive gifts and money while Marina would continue to tease him about her jet-setting lifestyle and her many love affairs with men and women. Finally, in the spring of 1973, Marina wrote to Peter to say that she was getting married. Peter did not take the news well. Was she bluffing? Was it true? He had no way of knowing, but he knew he did not want to lose the love of his life without knowing what could have been. It turned out Marina was bluffing, but Peter had already sent her a plane ticket to come to Canada. On a warm, sultry evening at the beginning of June 1973, Peter met Marina Hunt at the Dorval Airport in Montreal. For the next seven days, the lovers enjoyed one another while exploring the province of Quebec. Whether it was love or lust, they decided that they wanted to be together. But any possible future would require Peter getting a divorce. When Marina flew back to Vienna on June 12th, she already had a ticket to return to Canada the following month on July 26th. But just four weeks after Peter and Marina's romantic getaway in Quebec, Peter no longer required a divorce because his wife, Christine Demeter, was dead. When Marina eventually did return to Canada, it would be under much different circumstances. On Friday, November 1st, 1974, Marina Hunt took the stand in the murder trial of her lover, Peter Demeter, who was accused of hiring someone to get rid of his wife. She was the mistress, the one he had apparently killed for. But for the woman who the Canadian press had dubbed the Austrian beauty, she did not quite fit the image courtroom spectators were anticipating. Former Mississauga Times crime reporter Jim Bailey. She looked absolutely plain. She was kind of a a, a thin woman with uh, her hair pulled back, and uh, I guess she let it go revert to its natural color. It was kind of a dirty blonde kind of thing, and she, you know, was wearing slacks and just a you know nondescript blouse and stuff. And uh, uh, you kind of looked at it and go, "What? This is the femme fatale." Marina had arrived back in Canada in April of 1974, five months before the opening of the trial. She had moved in with Peter at the Dundas Crescent home where Christine had been murdered, and now she was the woman of the house, lounging by the backyard pool and driving Christine's Mercedes. 
When the trial began in London, Ontario, Marina stayed with Peter at the Holiday Inn and accompanied him to court each day. In the afternoons, she would often be seen walking Demeter's dog, Beezlebub, while Peter met with his lawyers. Former Detective Constable Barry King was assigned to accompany Marina to the courthouse each day. Well, Marina was, she, she was not a, I would say, in my view, she wasn't like an overly sexy woman that would have attracted him. I kept saying, you know, she's, she's a nice person, but I can't see uh, when you take a look at uh, Christine and if he's going to be carrying around that where's he going to get somebody that's much better than her? Now sitting in the witness box, Marina appeared confident and calm. With her hair pulled back, wearing little makeup and drab clothing, she described how she first met Peter in 1965 and how they had reconnected in 1970, shortly after Peter and Christine's daughter was born. According to Marina, they corresponded regularly for three years before consummating their affair in Canada. Crown attorney John Greenwood then asked Marina to read into evidence her love letters to Demeter, letters that had been seized by the Austrian police six days after Christine Demeter's murder. In her letters, Marina depicted a swinging lifestyle that included heavy drinking and lesbian affairs. She admitted to taunting Peter and lying about getting married because she wanted a commitment from him. In his letters to Marina, Peter declared that he loved her more than anything else on earth, and even though he was a married man, loving her was not a crime. Under cross-examination by defense counsel, Ms. Hunt stated that she was absolutely convinced that Peter Demeter had nothing to do with the murder of his wife, Christine. She said if she felt otherwise, she would not have come back to Canada to be with him. After Marina's testimony, two other witnesses testified about Christine Demeter being aware of her husband's affair. Joan Tennant told the jury that Christine had called her to tell her about Peter's affair and his trip to Montreal, knowing he had gone to meet up with Marina Hunt. And family law lawyer Ronald Bitterman testified that Christine had met with him to discuss the prospect of divorce. She wanted to be prepared, and she wanted to make sure she would get Andrea. During their meeting, Christine left a package for safekeeping with the lawyer. Inside the envelope were the love letters that she had found between Peter and Marina. Ronald Bitterman never saw Christine again, and a few weeks later, she would be dead. On Tuesday, November 5th, Peter Demeter arrived to court looking much more disheveled than usual. He had just spent his first night in the decrepit London jail after his bail was revoked by Justice Grant. His lawyers, Joe Pomerant and Eddie Greenspan, wanted to get their client released. Having Peter in prison did not look good from a defense point of view, and they knew Peter would not hold up well for long. They needed to get him back to the Holiday Inn where Marina could look after him. But Pomerant and Greenspan also had bigger issues to contend with. 
they were scrambling to come up with a new defense strategy regarding the surprise testimony of Ferenc Stark. Originally scheduled to be a defense witness, Stark had accepted a deal from the Crown Prosecutor and would now be testifying against Peter Demeter. While Stark had told the police that Christine Demeter had approached him about killing Peter, Stark also admitted to actually hiring Imra Olenik, a.k.a. the Duck, to kill Christine in what became known as the Dawes Road murder plot. But once he was under oath, Stark claimed that he knew all along the Duck would never carry through on the murder and wasn't surprised when the petty thief took off to Hungary with Peter's money. Defense lawyer Joe Pomerant attempted to discredit everything Stark was saying, accusing the former French legionnaire of lying to save his own skin. And in fact, Stark was testifying under the protection of the Canadian Evidence Act, which meant that nothing he said in court could later be used against him. The damning testimony of Ferrick Stark and the existence of a hired hitman named the Duck sent the news media covering the trial into overdrive and left the jury confused. Along with weird characters and strange names, the jury was now hearing of murder plots and counterplots. Were Christine and Peter Demeter both conspiring to murder one another? For the 12 working-class Middlesex County jurors, this trial couldn't get any stranger. But of course... He was just about to go from weird to completely bizarre. While the trial evidence was piling up against Peter Demeter, defense attorney Joe Pomerant was still struggling to plant a seed of doubt in the minds of the jury. What if someone else was responsible for Christine's death? And to bolster his argument, Pomerant wasn't above calling a serial killer to the stand. Henry Joseph Williams had admitted to viciously raping and killing two young women in Mississauga not long after Christine Demeter's murder. And he had also admitted to the attempted rape and murder of another young girl around the same time. Spectators in the courtroom and the jury members listened to extremely disturbing testimony while Pomerant questioned an unemotional and strangely honest Williams about each horrific attack. Yes, he had killed 19-year-old Constance Dickey. Yes, he had killed 18-year-old Neda Novak. Yes, he had raped and tried to kill 16-year-old Julia Sheldon. But no, he told the court, he had not killed Christine Demeter. The Mississauga police later testified that Williams' M.O. was completely different and he had never really been considered a suspect in the death of Christine Demeter. To those watching and listening closely to the legal antics going on in the courtroom on the 14th floor of the new London, Ontario courthouse, it looked like Joe Pomerant was really struggling to save his client. The next witness to take the stand at the Demeter trial did so in grand fashion. A Mr. X walked into the courtroom wearing a white cloth mask over his head to hide his identity. While referred to by the court as Tom Smith, the hooded witness was later identified 
as police informant Julius Farag, who had contacted the Mississauga detectives in October to tell them that word on the street was that a fellow Hungarian known as The Duck had killed Christine Demeter. But under oath, Farag's testimony changed, and since his initial interview with the police, he had apparently remembered more details. Now he was claiming that the duck had told him directly that he had killed Christine Demeter for $10,000. While Ferrick Stark testified he never saw the duck after the Dawes Road murder plot in April of 1973, when the duck stole the money without harming Christine, could he have returned from Hungary three months later to finish the job he had been hired to do? The duck's live-in girlfriend, Maria, testified that he was not in the country when Christine was killed in July of 1973. For his testimony, the hooded Mr. X had received a $2,000 reward from the Mississauga police. Next on the stand was the Crown's star witness, Chaba Silage, Peter Demeter's former confidant, who had turned on his friend and had secretly recorded all of their conversations for months. Crown Prosecutor Greenwood carefully prodded Salage as the younger Hungarian recounted the numerous conversations he had with Peter about plotting to kill Christine. Salage testified that for over five years, his former friend devised numerous plots to murder his wife, but Salage would reject each scheme in order to prevent Peter from initiating any of his macabre plans. Chaba said he believed that if Peter kept confiding in him, Christine would remain safe. On his second day on the stand, Chaba Salage read out the English translation of all of the conversations that had been recorded between himself and Peter after Christine's murder. Just days earlier, Justice Grant had finally ruled that the tapes were admissible and would be heard by the jury. This was a major victory for the prosecution, but defense counsel Joe Pomerant was more than ready to take on the testimony and betrayal of Chaba Salage. Under a lengthy cross-examination, Pomerant attacked the credibility of everything Chaba had said. And... Even if any of it was remotely true, what kind of a man was he that he had not done anything to protect Christine? As far as Pomerant was concerned, Chaba Salage was an ungrateful, dishonest turncoat. But while Pomerant worked very hard to discredit Chaba's extremely damaging testimony, the soft-spoken Hungarian held up under the defense lawyer's attack and claimed he was telling the truth. But, fortunately for the defense, while Salagi was on the witness stand in London, another surprise witness had come forward who said he knew who had killed Christine, and her murder had nothing to do with Peter Demeter. On a cold grey morning in late November, Joseph DiNardo a former prize fighter and convicted arsonist took the witness stand in the Peter Demeter murder trial. A well-known enforcer within the Hungarian underworld, 
the hulking six-foot-four, 230-pound criminal was an imposing figure when he walked into the courtroom, accompanied by three armed police officers. The Mississauga police had come across his name while investigating Farrick Stark and had decided to contact his lawyer to see if DiNardo knew anything about the Demeter case. Much to their surprise, it turned out he did know a lot about the case. But what he knew would not help to convict Peter Demeter. Testifying under protection of the Canadian Evidence Act, DiNardo told the jury that in June of 1973, one month before she was murdered, Christine Demeter had offered him and a friend $10,000 to have her husband killed. The friend's name was Laszlo Epper, the prison escapee who had been gunned down by the Toronto police in a shootout in August of 1973, six weeks after Christine's death. DiNardo said that Epper approached him, saying he had a big score. Then he and Epper met up with a beautiful woman at a West End shopping mall. She told them that she would drug her husband, leave the house, and then they were to show up and shoot him in what would look like an attempted robbery. DiNardo identified the woman as Christine Demeter. Christine said her friend, Chaba Salagi, would provide the men with an alibi. According to DiNardo, he refused her request, but left Epper to talk with her. And the next time he saw Epper was two weeks later when he showed up at DiNardo's apartment covered in blood on the night of Christine's murder. DiNardo said Epper was hysterical and said he had gone to see Christine for money, but they had argued and she had threatened him. In a panic, he told DiNardo that he had barred her, which was jail slang for hitting someone over the head with a weapon. DiNardo said Epper changed his clothes and left, and he never saw him again. Several weeks later, he learned that Epper had been gunned down in a police shootout. Did this explain the scrap piece of paper found in Epper's apartment with Peter Demeter's name on it? If what DiNardo was saying was true, Peter Demeter was completely innocent. But under cross-examination by Crown Counsel Leo McGuigan, the former prizefighter's story was meticulously dissected. Former reporter Jim Bailey. Leo McGuigan, uh, the Crown Attorney, cross-examined him. And Leo was about five foot five or six, but he's a tenacious little Irishman, and he just chewed him up. It was great to see, you know, kind of saw the power of the law versus just the sheer brute power. I mean, Donardo could have jumped off the witness stand and probably uh, strangled uh, uh, Leo or broken his neck, but no, nope, you know, it. Uh, when he left uh, that witness stand, he looked, uh, or the witness box rather, he looked somewhat uh, uh, disheveled. But regardless of the prosecutor's skilled cross-examination, DiNardo insisted his story was true. He had not been asked to lie for anyone. He had personally never met Peter Demeter, and he was not being paid by anyone to give his testimony the Mississauga police had contacted his lawyer and it was his lawyer who had asked him to do the right thing 
and testify. It was hard to know how much or how little the jury had believed, but with DiNardo's shocking testimony, the defense counsel rested their case. Peter Demeter would not be testifying on his own behalf. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. On Monday, December 2nd, Joe Pomerant began his closing arguments to the jury. The preceding 11 weeks had taken their toll on the seasoned defense lawyer. This had been his toughest case to date, and he knew that most of the evidence presented did not look good for his client. Now, all eyes were on him, and he needed a miracle to convince the jury of Peter Demeter's innocence. Pomerant began his argument with the presumption of innocence. And while he conceded his client had strong motives for murder, including an unhappy marriage, a mistress, and a million-dollar life insurance policy on his wife, he reiterated that none of those facts were proof of murder. Pomerant then reviewed Peter's alleged strange behavior on the night of Christine's death, suggesting that anyone... Even one of the jurors could have reacted in the same way under such horrifying circumstances. Then Pomeran attacked the prosecution's claim that Peter had meticulously planned the murder and his alibi on the night Christine died. He reminded the jury that it was not Peter's idea to go to Yorkdale Shopping Center that night. It was his teenage houseguests who wanted to go. He had only offered to drive them. 
Pomerant then circled back to the possibility that someone else, a perfect stranger, could have killed Christine. Was it just a bizarre coincidence that a serial killer was lurking nearby? Why did the Mississauga police question Henry Joseph Williams in Christine's murder months later if they were fully convinced of Peter's guilt? While Pomerantz spoke with passion and conviction, his harshest and most eloquent words were reserved for Peter Demeter's former friend, Chaba Salage. And who is Chaba Salage? Mr. Pomerant asked, standing only inches from the juror's box. He is a man who is one of the most miserable human beings who lives on the face of the earth. He is one of the most diseased, warped, and perverse human beings who has ever walked into a courtroom, and he is a chronic, hapless failure who may only be trying to save himself. Pomerant was trying desperately to discredit Salagi's testimony and suggest to the jury that Chaba knew more about Christine's murder than he was admitting to. He is one-tenth of a human being who looked for hopes and dreams in this country, but settled on revenge, said Pomerant to the jury. While Pomerant had attacked Chaba's character, he carefully chose not to address any of the potentially incriminating evidence on the tapes between his client and his former best friend. Following his condemnation of Chaba Salagi, Pomerant reminded the jury that testimony presented during the trial indicated that it was in fact Christine Demeter who wanted Peter killed. And just the day before she died, Christine had remarked to one of their house guests, I'd like to have him knocked off so I could get his money. That is a statement to remember, Pomerant told the jury. Pomerant then asked the jury to consider the compelling testimony of Hungarian heavyweight Joe DiNardo, who stated that Christine was likely murdered by Laszlo Epper, the hitman she had hired and then fired. After all, it was Laszlo Epper that had Peter Demeter's name on a scrap piece of paper in his apartment, along with the name of Detective Superintendent William Taggart. While DiNardo was a self-confessed enforcer and convicted arsonist, if his testimony was credible, it exonerated Peter Demeter, and he should be set free. Pomerant then attempted a more emotional pitch to the jury. Peter Demeter, said Pomerant, has a little girl, and that little girl will grow up. And I suggest to you that the test you apply is this. Convict Peter Demeter if you can look this girl in the eye when she grows up and say, I was satisfied to a moral certainty that your father committed this crime. Finally, after speaking to the jury for four hours, Joe Pomerant argued that the Crown had not established beyond a reasonable doubt that Peter Demeter had hired someone to kill his wife. Therefore, they should return with a verdict of not guilty. The murder of Christine Demeter was an especially vicious crime of a beautiful woman, said Crown Attorney John Greenwood as he began his closing statements. 
He then presented the tragic events of July 18, 1973, which he referred to as the isolation of Christine. Sending the gardener away. Taking the teenage house guest shopping. Bringing the dog along. Calling her from the shopping mall. It was all a calculated setup by Demeter during which he lined up the hired killer, arranged to get Christine into the garage at a specific time, all the while creating an alibi for himself. Greenwood said he believed Peter Demeter had been pressured into murder by his mistress, Marina Hunt, who was writing to him about fictitious love affairs and asking him to get a divorce. Peter was afraid his golden jewel, Marina, was going to disappear, said Greenwood. Demeter had the classic motives, money, greed, and sex, according to Greenwood, and he acted on them. With respect to any testimony implying that it was Christine who was trying to hire someone to kill Peter, Greenwood simply stated they were all lies. Christine did not have the wherewithal or the financial resources to go through with such a plan. Turning his attention to Chaba Salage, Greenwood had little to say about the man's character. But unlike the defense counsel, Greenwood wanted to talk about what was on the secretly recorded tapes. As he read excerpt after excerpt, Peter Demeter sat motionless in his chair next to his two high-priced lawyers. Peter's own words are the words of a guilty man, said Greenwood. As for the testimony of Ferrick Stark, Greenwood reminded the jury of the fact that on the day Christine died, Peter was desperately trying to reach one of his contractors in the Riverdale area of the city. Vivica Esso and Dr. Brewer had both testified to that fact, and it was later discovered that Ferrick Stark was doing a construction job in that neighborhood on that very day. Was he the hired killer? Or just the middleman who had hired the duck to murder Christine? Either way, he had made a deal with the prosecution and couldn't be charged. But, as far as the Crown was concerned, Peter Demeter was the mastermind behind the whole plot. Finally, Crown Prosecutor Greenwood addressed the defense's last witness, Joe DiNardo. DiNardo was lying, plain and simple, said an emphatic Greenwood. But the question for the jury to consider was why. Why was DiNardo lying for Demeter? Had he been paid off? Or was he the actual killer? Greenwood said he could not answer that question. And it was not the jury's task to solve the puzzle of the actual killer. The jury had been sworn to determine who was ultimately responsible for the death of Christine Demeter. And that person, according to John Greenwood, was her husband, Peter Demeter. On Friday, December 3rd, Justice Grant began his address to the jury. As required in all criminal cases, he defined the applicable law and the various principles of its interpretation. As the judge discussed aspects of the complicated evidence, 
it became clear to many in the courtroom that he had reached his own verdict and had accepted the prosecution's version of the events of July 18, 1973. The Crown contended that Christine had been lured into the garage by the telephone call from the Yorkdale shopping mall. Demeter had called her from the Burke's jewelry store. And it was during that phone call that the prosecution believed that Peter asked Christine to go out to the garage to get something out of his car, perhaps the keys. And when she reached into the car, a hidden assassin emerged from behind some boxes and brutally attacked her. Demeter, said the judge, was either guilty or innocent. There was no middle ground. And for them to reach a guilty verdict, the Crown must have proven its case beyond a reasonable doubt. After speaking for four hours, Justice Grant finally adjourned the trial. The jury had heard from over 100 witnesses and had viewed 160 exhibits. 48 hours later, on December 5, 1974, the jury of nine men and three women returned with their verdict. Guilty as charged, with no recommendation for mercy. It was one of the shortest deliberations for one of the longest murder trials on record. Peter reportedly turned white as a ghost, while his lover, Marina Hunt, stared down at the indigo-colored carpeting in the courtroom. Moments later, she stood up and walked out. With tears gathering behind his horn-rimmed glasses, Peter stood up to address the jury. He told them that he wasn't surprised by their verdict, given the evidence they had heard. However, he insisted he was innocent. He then said he had decided not to take the stand in his own defense because there were too many things which he could not logically explain. He contended that Christine had conspired with Chaba and Epper to kill him, but she had changed her mind on the day before her death. An enraged Epper killed her when she threatened to report him to the police if she didn't get her money back. Justice Campbell sentenced Peter Demeter to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 10 years. Former reporter Jim Bailey. Kind of ridiculous, really. I mean, I think Peter, my personal opinion is Peter would have been much better off getting a local London guy who knew the jury, who was, who was quite confident, you know, well-respected. Well didn't have to be a, a superstar, but a, a good, solid defense lawyer. I think he would have been much better off. And he would have he would have ended up with a lot uh, with his bank account in a lot better shape. One of the longest and most bizarre murder trials was over, and after eleven weeks, the men and women on the jury were finally heading home. Their lives had been put on hold, and they were emotionally exhausted. The butcher needed to get back to his meat shop. The farmer was anxious to return to his farm and the homemakers were happy to get back to their families. But for one juror, the strain of the trial had proven too much. Just 15 hours after the guilty verdict was announced, 62-year-old security guard John Gilbert suffered a fatal heart attack. Five days after the trial ended, Peter Demeter's lover, 
the woman he had killed for boarded a plane back to Vienna. There was nothing left for her in Canada. But the one thing she still cared about, she took with her. Peter's beloved speckled spaniel, Beezlebub. Coming up on Unrepentant Killer, The Life and Crimes of Peter Demeter. Did Peter Demeter get a fair trial? I thought it was amazing that that they actually got a conviction because they didn't really have uh, much evidence. I think Joe Pomerant just screwed it up. I mean, I thought he, he just... He dragged everything out. He, uh, I mean, I think he, he just played it so so badly. Um, he uh, he challenged everything. He questioned he questioned everything. Uh, he uh, had little hearings on every single piece of wiretap evidence that that, that they had, to, to no particular purpose. I I didn't think, and it just went on and on and on. He really came off as the slick, slightly sleazy Toronto, high-priced lawyer defending this millionaire. His audience was the jury, a jury of Middlesex County people, like, you know, farmers, ordinary working people, whatever. They, this guy, this guy, like, was, he was like somebody who'd arrived from the moon and, or from Mars rather, and was uh, telling them how, uh, how things worked. And they just, they didn't buy it. And how will the convicted murderer survive in federal prison? And then he was actually given parole, I think, back in 83, and immediately went out trying to murder more more people. Like, you know, one of the problems with Demeter, of course, was that he always wanted other people to do it. So he had to involve other people in in his web, which, of course, created the witnesses that would later convict him. I just didn't know it was so easy to go and coerce, you know, relative strangers to go and murder somebody on your behalf. You know, (laughs) can you imagine what kind of personality skills he's got to be able to pull that off? And who's next? on Mr. Demeter's hit list. I mean, can you imagine thinking to yourself, that, you know, I'd really like to kill my cousin because he owes me some money. Unrepentant Killer. The Life and Crimes of Peter Demeter is written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. A special thank you to Jim Bailey and Barry King. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And please check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 